Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's a Guy Jeans podcast. Hey you guys, welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Guy Jeans. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my podcast. Um, my podcast is growing like crazy, and I really appreciate all of you guys listening to the podcast. Um, today's guest is Dagar Goodmanson, and um, he is from Iceland. And uh, he's a guide over in Iceland for Atlantic salmon and sea run brown trout as well as other uh, cold water species over there in Iceland. And then he spends the summers there guiding, and then he comes over to the central coast of California and guides carp and warm water species as well as he guides in the surf. Um, he's also uh, a fly tire, fly inventor, um, designs flies that uh, are for bass and carp and for the surf. And uh, he's very well known in the fly fishing industry. Uh, as one of the innovators for uh, a fly that he's going to talk about on the on the show. And uh, before we get all into that, you guys, um, please like and subscribe on my YouTube channel. And uh, please write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps the, the podcast grow. And so uh, really appreciate that, you guys. Um, the YouTube channel is growing like crazy, and uh, it's really appreciated. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, here we go with Dogger Goodmanson. Dogger, how you doing? Good. How are you, guy? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for being on my podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, uh, I've been watching you for a while, and really stoked on everything that you're doing uh over along the central coast and i i really want to hear about your you know uh iceland fishing and all that stuff that you're doing and all that yeah, but yeah. would you mind like uh you know filling me in like where you're from and how you got into fly fishing uh so i'm from iceland uh I was born and grew up there for most of my childhood um got into fly fishing I got into fly tying actually when I was six, kind of just, I saw it in a magazine and thought it was really cool and I would just pick apart shoelaces and get worm hooks and tie up some flies on worm hooks. Then I got a fly rod that, that Christmas, like an old, probably an old fiberglass rod and just awesome. started fishing all around Iceland. Nice, man. Anywhere I could ride my bike to. So were you, were you pretty addicted as a kid? Yeah, so like I have a picture of me fishing on the piers when I was two, just you know, with a worm off the off the pier in Reykjavik, and pretty much since then I haven't been able to think about much else than fishing. Um, I'm same here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we would have been good friends over there if I was in Iceland, man. Oh yeah, I've been fishing oh, yeah. all the time too, you know. Yeah, um, okay. didn't find a lot of people. <laughs> so did so did you did you start guiding over there? 
Yeah, so I actually, when, uh, when I got my driver's license, I just got a job as a dishwasher at a fishing lodge over in Iceland. Nice. And uh, just kind of worked my way into the guiding, so just basically just did dishes and did breakfast, and then when there was a guide sick or something, I would start filling in, and yeah, I mean, it was, I've been pretty much guiding since I was able to drive. One of my first drives with anybody was with a bunch of drunk Norwegians going through <laughs> roundabout, and uh, it was very interesting. <laughs> so I, I've heard that it's um, a little bit different over there as far as like um, fishing. Do you, is it like something you have to, to like fish the rivers? Do you have to pay and then, or do you have to pay to go with a guide to go fishing or can you go fishing on your own? Um, and then what is it pretty pricey to go fishing with a guide over there yeah it's kind of like all of the above so um you can like there are lakes like you can buy like a card which is like a fishing license for the year Uh to fish a bunch of kind of almost public lakes Mm. but most of the rivers are privately owned um like the fishing the rights to fish the rivers are privately owned so you have to buy a day ticket to fish the river what's that cost so, like for the trout fishing, it could be anywhere from like fifty to one hundred and fifty bucks a day. Okay. To for like the salmon fishing, which could be anywhere from like a thousand to six thousand bucks a day. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, and that's a lot of it's due to due to the fact that like a lot of Atlantic salmon fishing in Iceland is based off of the English system because there was mm. like a bunch of English gentlemen that would come to Iceland in the eighteen hundreds, and they pretty much introduced us to fly fishing. And that's a lot of the systems based around that. I see. Because it's so very similar. Split. It's very similar, huh, to England. Yeah, like. so the rivers yeah. are all split into, like, beats. Um, ah, yeah. The government sets a restriction on how many people are allowed to fish a river per day. So, like, on a big river, you might be able to fish 16 people a day. But smaller rivers, you might only fish two people a day. Okay. And so you you got into the guiding there. I mean, that must be a pretty good uh, dough to be fishing over there, like during the summer. Is that when you're guiding in the summer there? Yeah. So I got there in the summers for salmon and brown trout. Um, and like, if somebody pays six thousand bucks for fishing, I I only got like, you know, the guide yeah, portion of guide, that. guide fee. Yeah. Yeah. But um, a lot of the reason kids in Iceland get into guiding is to be able to fish those rivers or be around the fishing, because obviously yeah. when I was like. 16, 17, I wasn't able to afford yeah, fishing, right. <laughs> fishing a salmon river. So that's kind of the only way to get into it. Yeah. But, yeah. So the, the salmon, the Atlantic salmon come in on the rivers. Is there is there brown trout in those uh, rivers as well? Because I've seen pictures of you with these giant brown trout. Yeah, there's a, we have a lot of brown trout. So yeah. um, And brown trout are native to Iceland, so we have, uh-huh. like, every river has its own almost individual stock of brown trout, or, like, that's evolved to that river. Right. And same with the Atlantic salmon. Like, you're not legally allowed to transport, like, a salmon caught in this river to another river. Like, you have to keep it in that system. Right. To kind of maintain the genetic purity of them. Uh-huh. Interesting. And the brown trout get ginormous, man, it looks like. Yeah, they do. So <laughs> the river I guide on, they're all cannibalistic. So I go like in the section above above where the salmon are, and uh-huh. the river is like a big spring-fed creek pretty much, but it's, you know, it's pretty big. Uh-huh. And the, the bottom's all volcanic, so it's a lot of sand. There's not a lot of insects. There's like the only hatches you'll get at is like the occasional midge hatch, so they won't really eat a lot of like bugs. So uh-huh. you'll have like maybe one or two fish per mile. Okay. But they're all like 25, 35 inches. And, and do you see them? Is it a sight fishing game? 
Um, I generally don't see them when they're feeding. You see them follow the streamer. So I'm fishing big streamers, and you'll see them come and follow that. Uh, but you're fishing to a lot of the structure. Okay. In the smaller rivers, you can spot them, stalk them, and almost like New Zealand style. Yeah. But you, so you, yeah. so when you go on a guided trip and you're fishing for brown trout, is it is that something you guys are targeting, or or you just accidentally catch them? Is that is that something? Because if there's only two fish per mile, I mean, you got to f- cover a lot of water, right? Yeah, so that's just that one river. But like, oh. if we do a lot of other, like, you do guiding for like sea run brown trout, very popular. So we got they're kind of like steelhead. Yeah, and they're coming into the rivers, and you know we're catching them fresh out of the ocean, and then you can catch you know some if you hit a run of fish, you can catch like ten of them, twenty of them okay. if you get lucky. Right, right. Um, and then a lot of the smaller streams, we have a lot more brown trout, which are, are like more productive insect wise. So you get caddis hatches, mitch oh. hatches. Okay. In the summers, uh, is it the the seasons kind of the same as uh, the states? Is that why you you're here in the wintertime? Uh, yeah. So, like uh, the Atlantic salmon season starts kind of you know early to mid June. That's okay. when the fish start running into the rivers. Okay. You can start fishing for trout around April first, but most of the good trout fishing starts around May, when it starts properly warming up. Yeah. Um, and then by, you know, end of September, most of the salmon rivers have closed down and then all fishing in Iceland shuts down by October 20th. So I head over there, you know, mid June and then I'll be back in the States around the end of September. How fun, man. What a great, uh, way to change up things, you know, going from, yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So when you guys are fishing for the Atlantic salmon and the brown trout, can you explain like how you're fishing for the salmon and and the brown trout like in some of those like sea run brown trout rivers and stuff yeah so a lot of the atlantic salmon fishing in like the bigger rivers is very similar to like swing and flies for steelhead okay um so but we'll use everything like early season when the fish are fresh in out of the ocean you're using a lot of like bait fish imitation or like shrimp patterns Uh just because that's what they're kind of that's what they're look remember from the ocean yeah but like salmon They'll, their stomachs will close up in the river, so they can't eat. Mm-hmm. But they do, unlike the Pacific salmon, they will actually, like, a lot of them will survive the winter and spawning, and they'll go back out to the ocean, and then we can catch them again the next year. Oh, interesting. But that means that once they've been in the river for a long time, they get less likely to want to chase those bigger flies. So by, like, late August, September, we're swinging really small, like, 16, 18-style flies that are there just to annoy them. Uh, and the way I like to think about it, it's like a midge in your face. Yeah. And it gets really annoying, so you want to swat it away, and salmon don't have their hands. They have mouths. Yeah, yeah. And the brown trout fishing, uh, like the sea-run browns, it's pretty similar. So once they're fresh out of the ocean, they will pretty much hit anything that resembles what they were eating in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And once they've been in the river for a longer time, they will actually eat in the river. So much like a steelhead, you will get them on dry flies, you'll get them on nymphs, um, when the weather's bad, you can catch them on bigger streamers, and then they start behaving more like a resident brown trout. Yeah. And the brown trout, they will get really old. So, like, you'll catch, because the water's so cold in Iceland, their growth rates are super slow. Yes. So you'll get, like, a 10-pound brown trout is about, you know, 10 to 15 years old. A 20-pound brown trout is 20-plus, <gasps> you know. Like, wow. they're really old, and you'll see scars on them from 10 years ago. Um, you know, we'll take scale samples and you send them into the fisheries and it comes back and it shows you how old they are. And these are just really cool fish. Wow, man. Isn't that interesting? And those yeah. guys are going into the ocean and coming back and what a fish. 
Yeah, and like the Sea Run Browns, they'll come like you know a couple times a season. They'll they'll come in and out of the estuary to feed. They'll follow the food. Sometimes they'll follow up to Salmon Run. Then they'll mm-hmm. go back in the ocean and they'll come back up in the fall to spring to spawn. Yeah, um, and it's just really unique to every river there. It's pretty cool. What size rods are you using? Um, so like in the bigger rivers, you're using you know the standard is like a like a twelve and a half foot seven weight spay rod. Okay. Um, if you're going on the really big rivers, you want to bump up to like a 14 foot nine weight. Uh-huh. Um, but then we also have a lot of really small rivers, and a lot of the unique salmon fishing in Iceland is like really small streams that are clear. And there we're using like a four or five weight, and we're like riffle hitching on the surface, which is like when you're skating like a tube fly on the surface. Okay, interesting, man. How cool! So when if we were to go on a trip over there, um, where would we go to? Like where would we fly into? So you fly into Keflavik, which is uh, the only international airport in Iceland. It's about you know half an hour from Reykjavik, which is the only city in Iceland. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, um, it just depends what you want to do. If you want to get into the smaller rivers, you go to the west coast. If you want to go into the bigger, more glacially fed rivers, the south coast is great. And the south coast is really where you get most of the big brown trout, the sea run brown trout. Yeah. Then the north of Iceland and the, the east of Iceland is a lot of fjords. So it's these big, like, glacially carved fjords, and, like, the rivers are really wild, yeah. rough, really young. Uh-huh. The really cool thing about a lot of Icelandic rivers is um, some of them just pop out of the ground because the whole island is like a sponge because it's just lava. Yeah. So you'll, have, you'll be standing there, and you'll see water coming out of the ground everywhere, and a lot of the rivers don't have, like, they're not old enough to have, like, formulated riffle-run pool structure. So a lot of it's just like ledges in the in the lava or like a hole. So you might a pool might look normal from the top, and then you look underwater, and it's like ankle deep to the middle, and then it drops down, and you can't see the bottom, and then that's wow. only like three feet across. Wow, very cool. So you yeah. fly into that that city, and what what's it like there? You know, um, I've never been there, and I know I probably almost ninety uh, percent, if not more, people have never been to Iceland that I know. <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, what's it like there? I mean, like, like when the you go, culture? yeah, the culture and stuff. Um, I mean, it's really, I mean, I guess laid back is kind of the word you'd use. I mean, uh-huh. everybody, it's really friendly. It's like uh, the whole country is like a small town. So there's yeah. only 300,000 people that live in Iceland. Oh, okay. And half, half of those people live in Reykjavik, the city. Okay. And everybody, you, you, you tend to know most people. Sure. Or like you'll run into family members. Um, you'll if you run into someone, you know someone you know. Um, mm-hmm. The culture is really much based around hot tubs, so we go to hot tub pretty much every day. Public hot tubs are everywhere. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So awesome. like, you'll go to the hot tub, you'll see really famous people like Björk and like the members of Seuros or something will be okay in the hot tub with you. And the politicians <laughs> will work the hot tub to get a feel for what the the okay. country is you know what the vibe is <laughs> interesting man that's yeah so, that's so cool wow um okay so what's the i mean obviously you come here in the winter time does the winters just get gnarly there like so cold that you just it's almost unbearable um yeah i mean they get cold we iceland tends to, tends to stay warmer than it should be based on where it is because uh-huh. the gulf stream comes up the atlantic there okay um but it's still cold and windy and snowy um but what? the the difficult thing is how dark it gets. So like oh. in December, you January, you only have like an hour or two of daylight. Oh, and what that a trip. daylight is just like the sun is peeking up over the horizon and popping back down. What's that like? Um, if you're not used to it, it can be depressing. Right. 
I mean, um, but people like people tend to be very festive around Christmas time, I guess. So like uh-huh. everything is very like everything's taken to the next level. Like there's lights everywhere. There's parties every day. Uh, um, you know, so you combat the darkness by doing other fun stuff. And okay. that's kind of why Iceland has a big kind of rich music and art scene oh. is due to the fact that people are inside for yeah. most of the winter. So you're kind of for you can't really do anything else. So you're forced to be creative, or do other stuff. Famous musicians coming out of there. Uh, you said Bjork, was yeah. One and and is there other ones that have come out of Iceland that that we would know about? Yeah, there's Sigurós, uh, which is mm-hmm. pretty famous. Um, then like a band that was famous a couple years ago, of Monsters and Men. Oh they, yeah, they're from Iceland. Uh huh. Um, and then there's some famous actors and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, and there's a lot of Icelandic music that's kind of permeated through, you know, American culture too. I love it, man. I love yeah, that. I love that music. Okay, so you you come over here during the the uh, winter over there, and you're you're basically here like spring, like the spring or actually the the winter and then the spring and then the fall basically, right? So yeah, like I'm here. here. I'm here through from like end of September through mid yeah. June. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and which is like super mild compared to there during. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like, it's like balmy, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just had like a bad storm yesterday here, yeah. and it's like a you know we got storms like this over the summer pretty regularly in Iceland. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, okay, so you you come over here, and and what do you guide here, and where? So I guide on the central coast. So I'm based out of uh, the like San Luis Obispo County. Yeah. So a lot of my guiding is in the lakes around here for carp, bass, and trout. Yes. And then I do a lot of surf guiding up by you know Morro Bay. Yes. South end of Big Sur. Yeah. And the, what are the lakes that you're you're uh, guiding on? I know San Antonio is a, a big one, right? Pretty yeah, much. like yeah. Lake San Antonio is probably where I spend most of my time, um, yeah, just because of the the size of it and and the carp the, and the carp yeah no man I, I, <laughs> and I, I love the carp <laughs> i, I got to get up there and go fishing man i mean I, the carp fishing looks amazing it's a pretty special place i mean we've had dry fly fishing all winter long there right now uh, and then come like march they're tailing in the flats yeah and that'll keep going all the way through october and then back you know you get into november and they start feeding up top again <laughs> so cool man and how did you how did you find that fishery and the carp fishing there um how did how did you come to guide on guide for carp especially um i was just looking for carp yeah. um so i walked pretty much when we moved out here i walked a lot of the lakes just to kind of and like i've I, one of the first experiences i had fishing in america was uh, i just i showed up at the lake and i had no clue what i was doing and i started seeing these huge fish rolling around <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I want to catch those things. <laughs> right, absolutely. That's yeah, so like I walked all the lakes in the area just looking for carp, and I I feel like I've walked the shoreline of every lake around here. Yeah, and San Antonio just um, it's a really special place. I mean, it's it's cool because there's there's not a lot of traffic there. Um, it's kind yeah. of remote ish. Yeah, and it's a big lake. It's very varied. So like, if you change up basically a mile where you go, you find a different fish different they're doing different things different stripers, stripers are there too right 
Um, I don't think there's a lot of striper oh. left in there. Oh, um, okay. The drought, the drought kind of killed off a lot of them. Ah, okay. But it used to be a huge striper fishery, so it used to be very popular to go out there and fish for striper. Ah, okay. So mostly, is there is there largemouth in there? And there's largemouth, there's smallmouth. Um, oh, nice. And then they just started planting trout in there. So okay. Any cra- any, any crappie in there? There's a lot of crappie actually, okay. big crappie, and yeah. In the in the springtime, you can go catch a ton of them. You know, uh, you talk about walking um, the lake and stuff like that. You know, when I, when I first started, uh, carp fishing, um, I was doing the same thing on Isabella, man. I was yeah. just walking around, you know, like the, the river would blow out, you know, the current would blow out and I'm, I'd be walking around. I'm like, man, I'm going to catch those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no one was doing it, you know, it was yeah, so cool. You, it was so cool. It is really cool. Yeah. I mean, if you, for those listening who have never done it, you know, definitely go check out the carp fly fishing um if you have a, a local lake by you or you know definitely go up and uh and fish with uh dogger as well man that would be awesome some of the pictures you're showing me too of them uh you know on the surface and then you know in the sand on the shore i mean it looks amazing yeah it's a it's pretty i mean they're i love those fish they're yeah. just so fun because you know, the visual aspect of it um they're smart they've got the biggest brain of any freshwater fish yeah um, they they seem like they communicate. Yeah, <laughs> like you for spook sure. one, you, you'll <laughs> spook like all of them down in a line. Yeah, yeah. Um, they leave like a scent behind if you spook them to yeah. warn other fish. <laughs> um, they fight hard. I don't know what's not to love about them. Right. Oh my gosh. So what else uh, are you guiding over there? You're on the surf as well. You're doing in, it in the surf. Yeah. So I do a lot of like morning trips for surf perch mostly. Uh-huh. Uh, we do get some striper down here, but not many. Okay. And, um, let's talk about your flies, you know, yeah. the, the flies, uh, let's go back to the carp and how did you come up? Uh, I, I know you, you've developed some flies for carp as well. And how did you come up with some of the, the patterns that you've come up with? Um, like for carp, a lot of it's just, you know, you're trying to match the hatch. So, I mean, yeah. you kind of judge what they're, how they're feeding, what they're feeding on. Mm-hmm. And then you want to fly to basically imitate both the action of the food item that they're feeding on and the kind of general silhouette. They tend to not be as picky as trout on like a, you know, if you do three thread wraps, they, they'll, they won't, you know, deny the fly because of that. But if the fly doesn't sit correctly on the surface or sit correctly on the bottom, they will reject it because of that. So a lot of the flies will incorporate foam to like lift the back of the hookup or back of the body of the fly off the bottom. Yeah like a clam. So a lot of the, yeah. a lot of, a lot of the food item the carp are feeding on at San Antonio is clams, especially when the lake was lower Yeah, and clams don't move, you know, along the bottom, which makes them very hard to present a fly right. that way. Um, <laughs> especially, so for trout, especially for <laughs> trout fishermen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You just, you drop the fly and you leave it there. So you kind of yeah. need the fly to like lift up off the bottom and catch their attention that way without, providing too much movement to spook them if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely and then for the dry flies um like one of the first times i saw them rising in the middle of winter and rising carp we call clooping carp they like they were feeding on midges and they feed on midges all winter long here and when i first saw that i just threw on like a size you know 18 griffiths gnat cast that thing out there and the first thing that happened was i broke the leader and then i both <laughs> beefed up the leader cast that thing out there and the second thing that happened is the hook bent out <laughs> so <laughs> you need to like um i needed to find a way to make like a midge bodies on 
bigger hooks that would still imitate that smaller sizes and sometimes you can get away with like a midge cluster yeah. imitation nice. but a lot of it's just trial and error to match the hatch yeah and you got are you using like six weight rods where you're at um, i'm mostly using a six weight yeah yeah six weight yeah awesome man how fun is that huh it's a ton of fun uh, they just they fight hard and <laughs> so what about um like some of the colors that you're using is it is it uh matter on some of the colors at, at uh, lakes that you're fishing or just i think on i think when they're eating off the bottom the color tends to matter more mm-hmm. um so like with a clam imitation so you definitely see like when you use a certain color of chenille it, for like a a clam feeding tube which looks like a worm like a san juan worm body off of a clam uh-huh um they tend to go for the bright reds the bright pinks more than like a dull gray or a yeah. green color and that can change on the season but for the surface flies i think because they're silhouetted against the sky the color doesn't seem to matter as much mm-hmm. so i try to make them as bright as i can on the top so i can see them yeah <laughs> the, when they're feeding when they're feeding on top sometimes you're making much longer casts so like 50 to 70 foot casts at a carp and if you can't see that fly you have no idea if he eats it or not. Do you think that the carp in San Antonio are different than, say, another lake that has carp I mean, in, in feeding-wise? Or do you, do you think you could use the same flies in, a, in another lake doing the, basically the same presentation? Um, my, my feel for it is that carp tend to be just a little bit different on every lake you uh-huh. go to. Um, so, um, like I found when I went to Isabella... I need to downsize more than I needed to at San Antonio for like the clam imitations or the uh-huh. damsel fly imitations. Uh-huh. Um, but then in other lakes, they tend to chase, they'll chase down like a streamer, you know? Yeah. Whereas in San Antonio, you move that fly, like the fly twitches, you spook the fish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I had uh, one of the best uh, carp dry fly fishing experiences I've ever had in uh, Montana. And in Montana? In Montana, yeah, on the Bighorn Lake. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it was unbelievable, man. They, the, uh, we, were, we were fishing trout, of course, and then one day we went up and we fished up there on on the lake, and it was all grasshoppers, man, on the surface, and it was just yeah. epic. It was so good. And the, fi- the fish were big, um, but you could spot the fish and then cast to them, and then they would come over and eat it, you know? <laughs> it was just, yeah. It was, I, I told uh, the lodge that we were at, I'm like, that was that was better than the, the trout fishing, man. He's all, really? I'm like, oh, my God. It was epic. Yeah, it was It was something that uh, was will be a great memory for sure. Oh, yeah. Carp eating hoppers, is the, that's cool. I mean, does it get any better? I mean, God. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about your incredible-looking uh, bass flies that you, you tie, man. I know that you tie, like, a... Uh, a pattern maybe you can explain to people what it is but you know it's like multiple uh fish um like, yeah, like a like, tube and and what it's called and and did you come up with that or how did that all come about yeah so i have like the sweet home alabama i call it which yeah. is it's <laughs> it's like a school of bait fish uh-huh. so you might have seen in like conventional bass fishing they have alabama rigs yeah which are these massive kind of harnesses of wire and flash and baits pretty much which you could never cast on a fly rod and it's always (laughs) been hard to imitate that on a fly rod yeah 
And you'll see fish like bass, especially like stripers, white bass, you know, spotted bass, they tend to like concentrate on chasing schools of bait fish. So if you want to draw out fish when you don't have a school of bait fish, you are kind of out of luck with a fly. Yeah. Just like a single one. So I started making them on tubes about six, seven years ago. Um, so the tube is basically just like the, the middle structure of the fly to hold it all together. And then I have like four teaser arms off of it, which are just on mono. Yeah. And there's a basically hookless shanks that yeah. just like imitate like a school of bait fish. And then I have one hooked fly in the back. That's a little bit bigger and a little bit more attractive to the fish. Cause when a fish chases a school of bait, they tend to go for the bigger, easier prey, which is usually in the back and it moves a little differently than the rest of the school. Yeah. And I make those from like, you know, four to six inches up to, you know, 12 inch flies. And with the tubes, you can stack them on top of each other. So if you want a bigger school, you can, you know, put two tubes together and then a hook. Oh, no way. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it means that. So like almost like a 12 inch fly, um, when you're casting them, they tend to spin in the air. Yeah. So with like the bigger ones, I'll time, like you'll have one small tube through the middle, then like a, basically a smaller or like a wider section of tubing where I tie the whole Alabama rig onto it that sits on that tube. So that thing will spin without spinning the leader. So when you're casting it, it eliminates the line twist. Oh, okay. I get it now. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I mean, how long does that take you to make, man? Um, I've got it down to where I can <laughs> yeah. knock out the small ones in, you know, like 30 minutes each. Oh, awesome. Okay. But like the bigger ones, they'll take me an hour. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, they're, they're, um, I mean, obviously, you know, you can't sell those for like cheap either. You know, they're, um, you have to sell those for what oh, I'm looking. It's like 45 bucks or something. And yeah, bucks. I, I uh, charge oh. a lot for them just yeah. cause you know, well, it takes a long not time. my full-time gig <laughs> <Yeah>. and like, <laughs> I want people to have them, but like, oh, it also needs to be worth my time and Absolutely. nobody else is really selling them. So yeah, they aren't, huh? No. Is, is that something that you came up with too? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm going to have to get some of these Yeah, I, no, know, they're, and fish them, uh, you know, and Isabella over here. Yeah. They're really cool. And like, I get to like, I get customers who send me photos of where they, catch fish on them like john sherman took them down to columbia to fish for dorado and got like a 35 pound dorado that they've been trying to catch all season on that thing awesome um and then like you know i got people who take them to florida for snook i had some guy fish them like catch rooster fish on them down in baja like people use it for steelhead and brown trout and yeah and it's cool yeah you don't want to you don't want to get that thing snagged man and lose that thing no <laughs> <laughs> dang it i'm diving down be a lot the, of tears yeah for sure and other species too, right? I mean, it looks like you can get them, you know, a variety of species with that. Oh yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, I think, I think on the last count I had like, there was at least 22, 23 species that have been caught on that from what I've been told, uh, like from clients, but so like cool. I've caught, I have caught carp on it. Like carp have come and chased that thing and eat it. Um, you catch surf perch on it. I've had steelhead come and hammer that thing while I'm fishing for bass. It's. Oh, really? You know. <laughs> That's cool, man. So, it says on your website that your American Carp Society official guide is that. What is that? Is that like some like a society that uh, you can uh, get with, and they're like, "Hey, you want to be a guide for?" How's that um, work? Yeah. So the American Carp Society is like uh, it's a group of 
basically carp anglers in the U.S., which yeah. basically is just to grow the sport sport of carp fishing uh, yeah. in in the U.S. and kind of change the narrative around carp in the U.S., which is as has been, as you know, like yeah. that they're trash fish and they're yeah. ruining everything, and we need to kill them all and right. all that. But the American Carp Society is basically just like a, I think they're a nonprofit, just trying to change sure change the perception of it yeah. and. So they have a list of official guides who they recommend um, to that they like sure. approve of to guide for carp. I guess. Are you going to be coming up and and fishing in Isabella carp tournament again? Carp? Yeah, I think so. It was a ton of fun last time. Wasn't it fun? Yeah, it uh, is. Unfortunately, it wasn't like you know it was kind of a tougher fishing. Um, so that's how it goes with carp. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> that was what it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a pretty fun thing to do too, man. And, um, you know, we have, uh, our carp fest, you know, on Isabella usually in May and then there's the carp throwdown in at Lake Henshaw in, in uh, San Diego. Do you know of any other carp attorneys? Um, have you heard of any not, others? not in, not in California. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've heard, you know, there's, there's carp tournaments that pop up like up in the, the Columbia river in Portland, I think. Oh, and, is there? Uh, okay. Yeah, and then there's like a couple out, like in Minnesota. I think there's one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But yeah. yeah, I think those are the two main ones in California. Awesome, man. Hey, so and it's just fun. If, <laughs> fun if, to get uh, English together. Oh my god, it's a blast, man! I it, I can't uh, express how much fun it is to to fly fish for carp, and you know we have all these amazing fisheries all just in in uh, California, you know. So you're, yeah. you're also, um, you're working with, uh, Central Coast Fly Fishing, the fly, the shop, the fly shop in Carmel? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so awesome, I, I've known Jeff for all, pretty much since I've moved to the States and yeah. runs that shop. Yeah. Um, do a couple of clinics through them and, you know. Did he, did, did that shop like shut down for a while and then it reopened or something? I can't remember. Yeah. I think he closed down for a year. He moved okay. to Montana. Oh, okay. Um, Ended up not liking the winter there, and then moved back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, yeah. so if people want to uh, go on a guide trip with you or want to get some of these amazing flies that you tie, where would they go? Uh, they want to check out my website, diewoodflyfishing.com, okay. or, or just find me on Instagram uh, for diewoodfishhunter. Yeah, and, and uh, um, that's spelled D-A-G-U-R. Yes. dot com. if people want to check out uh, his amazing um, flies and go on a guide trip for carp and bass and fly fish in the surf along the central coast. Dogger, man, yeah. thanks so much for uh, being on my podcast, man. What a, of course. What a pleasure. I learned a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> so so cool. I hope to see you soon, man. Uh, probably, yeah, I hope so. Probably we'll see you um, at the Carp Fest in uh, in Isabella, probably, if you come over for that. Uh, in, yeah, in you May. need to come out and check out San Antonio. I, I, I plan on it, man. So, hey, thanks again, man, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. With everything going on in the world today, right now could be the best time ever to diversify your retirement savings with precious metals like gold and silver. I just bought some precious metals myself and I got them from the top rated company, Gold Co. They couldn't have made the process easier and their customer service was impeccable. Gold Co. has helped thousands of people just like you and me place over $2.5 billion in gold and silver. They're rated A plus by Better Business Bureau. They've earned over 5,000 five star reviews. 
They're a seven-time incorporated 5,000 winner. And that's just mentioning a few of their accomplishments. There's plenty more. Right now, for my listeners, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver. You heard that right, up to $10,000 in bonus silver, but only while supplies last. Go to goldco.com slash guy to learn more. That's goldco.com slash guy. Diversify your savings with gold and silver today at goldco.com slash guy. It's a Guy Jeans podcast. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.